Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So, this week on the podcast, we have the sublime, that's right, I said sublime, Sean Carey. Sean is an actor, he is currently on a UK and Ireland tour, uh, appearing as Sam Monaghan in the first ever tour of Mischief Theatre's Olivier nominated The Comedy About a Bank Robbery. Uh, it's this rip-roaring comedy, it's coming to the Gaiety Theatre in May, we talk about it on the show, I'm going to be there, I implore you to do the same. Uh, these guys are so prolific, Sean also appeared uh, in the play that goes wrong uh, in the West End uh, at the Dutch theatre um, again he got to play a lot of roles there it was just kind of a dream experience having gone from working front of house to actually being in the show it was one of them like rags to riches story if you want to read into that narrative um, it was kind of amazing and again we talk about that on the episode um, Sean's based in London at the moment he works in Dublin all the time he did Borstal Boy uh, most recently at the Gaiety theatre uh, and as well as that he is on the original cast recording of The Clockmaker's Daughter um, which is really exciting I think that one could be a hit it's uh, Michael Webborn and Daniel Finn uh, there's a load of amazing names attached to that like Frafi and Ramin Karamlu and it's kind of an Irish based story too so um, I think that one is going to be very exciting and hopefully will hit uh, the shores of Ireland and the UK in the near future. Look, it's a deadly episode, and Sean, if you are listening, a massive thank you to you, Pat, for taking the time to do it. It was a pleasure to sit down and talk to you, as always. Guys, a quick mention for our Patreon campaign. It's just going from strength to strength. It's really, really exciting uh, to have it here, to have something that uh, is for the listeners. You know, if you like this show, this is your way of helping us out, continue to make it. As Blind Boy says, it's a model based off soundness. If it's not for you, that's no problem. If it is, amazing. Uh, I mentioned on the show last week that if, you know, uh, the 5 euro or 10 euro or, you know, something along those lines is too much for you, I totally understand. I know how many, you know, younger people that are listening to this, how many artists and just how tough things are in the moment in terms of rent and just day-to-day life. So the last thing that I would ever want to do is, you know, have this podcast put any kind of financial strain on anybody. That's the reason that is free and will be free forevermore. However, if you do want to support, um, you can just chip in uh, a couple of euro, a, a euro, whatever it is. Every little bit helps. We have thousands of listeners that listen to this thing like all the time so if you are one of these people that are listening first of all thank you so much second of all throw a euro in if you and like 10 others do it like that's how these things grow and that's how these things build Um, it really is more about the quantity of people that are chipping in rather than the quantity of the amount Uh, if you're someone who can chip in like 5 or 10 euro and that doesn't make a massive difference in your life amazing it will make a massive difference in ours thank you so much Um, as I always like to say the show will stay free Uh, and this is just a way that trying to uh, move forward with the podcast and so I really appreciate uh, everything that you guys do for it and all the way uh, that you spread the word and all the great things that you do and one of the things that uh, I've noticed a lot of podcasts are doing and uh, maybe we should steal it is the little you know screenshot of uh, you're listening to the episode it's a great way to just share it in your Instagram story um, and people kind of just see it then go oh what the fuck is that I might give it a shot Uh, and I think once people give it a listen most people will come back because uh we have so many great guests on this show and um, I think you know the questions and the conversations that we're having now they're really special to me and um, I'm going to trust that they are special to you and will be special to many many people who do take the time to listen so um, to you guys who are doing that as of now thank you so so much it honestly means the world so guys enough of that please enjoy the wonderful Sean Carey playing personality bingo with Tom Moore.
Sean Kerry ready to play personality bingo? I certainly am. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick explanation of how it all works. Cool. Um, so, we've got 60 minutes on the clock. We've got 60 balls in here. And I've also got 60 sheets. Uh, 60 sheets? I've got three sheets with 60 questions that correspond to the balls. I've made a balls of that. You, <laughs> you invented this. How do you not know what this is I, I by now? I actually fucked on. up the format of it in a long time. Because the format's real catchy. And we're doing the Patreon page at the moment. So, I've been kind of like typing it out and getting the best... Um, the best phrasing of it all. So a like, Patreon page, do you say? That's very... <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this podcast is sponsored by myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> Little plug there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was... That was this is a very disappointing start to the podcast, but it, it's only up from here. It's, Unless you're even worse than that. I mean, I'm pretty bad, but I've set the bar really low, so, you know, yeah. hopefully all we can do is go up. So. We're being kind to each other. Um, uh, I've also given you five numbers of that sheet of paper. Would you do me a, a favour and read out the five? Yes, I've got two. Two, yep. 19, right. 43, okay. 13, Brilliant. and 50, 52. Oh. I forgot what the number two looked like there. Sorry, I've got 52, yes. Ah, uh, we're all fucking up all over the place. I know, it's great. I know. It, it's very human though, you know. Real. Very, we're real people, Tom. Very real. That's um, what we uh, I'm going to ask you another favourite to pick uh, a number between 1 and 60 that's not already there. Yes, I am going to pick uh, 27. Why? Because my age. Oh, no. I'm 28. Yeah, 27. I'm 28 in May, so I yeah. decided. Are yeah. you a Taurus? Am I a Taurus? I'm a cuspy. I'm one of these people, depending if it's fucking Magic Meg or Mystic Fuckface, it's like <laughs> I'm either a, a Taurus or a Gemini. Yeah. Are you, so and are, are you into it? Are you into the star signs? Not in the slightest. Do you ever you read them and they're just very vague yeah. things that you might breathe at one point today? If you read other, they all relate to you. Mm-hmm. They're all kind of um, very relatable. So no, I don't really. Do you? Uh, no, but 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 if someone passionately does, I'm so on board. Like really? if, if if someone was to sit in that chair and be like, "Yes, what are you? What am I? Oh, this is this, and what's your rising? What the fuck?" And I I'm, know. I lived with it like someone who was mad into astronomy and God love her like she was fucking mental like but in a great way in a yeah. kind of exactly the same way you just want to sit and listen to them talk this utter lunacy yeah and like if they can find I... meaning in it I'm very happy for them to project that all over me like cover me in your lunacy just yeah, just, yeah drown me in lunacy <laughs> that, that's a good name for something cover drown me, me in lunacy <laughs> cover me in lunacy the Tom Moran story I'm on board that's going to be the name of your autobiography I'm going to take credit for that yeah please do uh, and I should say that if all six of those numbers do come out that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question oh, I hope you don't get to ask oh, me a question oh god any question uh, I know so much about you already so I, I feel like I know all there is yeah to it know. would be just like you like picking the worst thing you know about me and being like tell the people <laughs> I know because I listened I do you know I was listening to the one you did with John Dennehy there which was absolutely hilarious mm. and uh and you, you said that thing of like turning the tables and I was literally going what the fuck will I ask him like I actually don't know what I will ask you so mm. I'm kind of hoping that that doesn't happen yeah fair but fair. we'll see we'll see has it ever happened before and uh, no we've got someone to five and no one's got to six amazing yeah so it's it's set up there cool. it's set up all right let's give it a spin cool Okay, here we go. First out the gate, we have number 30. Do you have it? No. No worries, number 30. The question is, what is your worst habit? My worst habit? Oh, God, that's a really tough start one. Mm. Um, My worst habit? Um, I have... Oh, when I get excited, I twitch a lot. I get like quite a... I've got quite a tick mm. um, that people don't normally notice, but now that I've said it, they'll be like, absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, really bad habit. I've got a terrible... I'm mad. Coke. It's not really a bad habit. Like Coke Zero. I I can't go a day without drinking Coke Zero. Mm. Like real caffeine problem. I yeah. think I'm a caffeine addict. And are you a coffee drinker? 
Yes, occasionally, mm-hmm. occasionally, but like Coke Zero, like buckets of it, and that is just not good for your insides. Like no. it is filth. Man, it I'm the exact same filth. though. I had a diet Coke addiction. Yeah, like, and it was an addiction. It absolutely yeah. was, and I really have like I, I. It's weird saying you have an addictive personality, but I have. I'm a. I'm. It's not even that. I'm just a creature of ridiculous excess. Yes, in absolutely. in everything, in in like whatever the fuck it is. Like it could be work, it could be drinking, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing too much of it. Like, God, you're getting very excessive. Ah! <laughs> Um, and I, I totally relate. So, like, like honestly, now because I'll meet you here. Like, yeah. I have. There's been days where I would say I've had over six liters of diet coke. Fuck! I okay, swear to God, that's not as bad as me. I swear to God, three liters might have been my max, which is way too much. I know, I know. But you're like me as well. I think it's so funny on this podcast. We're both talking a mile a minute. I think our brains just fucking dart mm-hmm. around. I always, from when we first met, I always thought that like that we're very similar in terms of. I think I wonder if we just cut caffeine out, would we become these lovely, placid, mellow human beings? Is well, it that I've st- like- I've cut. I don't drink diet coke anymore. Really? Yeah. Only How'd because. You go cold well, because my mom kept leaving me fucking death threats on the fridge. She'd literally be like, "Leave us." Like, if I go home, I don't live at home anymore. But if I go home, there'd be like a sticky note. I go and buy a two-liter bottle of coke, maybe two, and I put them in the fridge. They're nice and chilled. I come back. I'd open it up. There'd be a sticky note saying, "Please stop drinking this, or you'll die of cancer." Brilliant. If you ever want to see your coke again, I want a helicopter. <laughs> And just a ransom note, your coke just like tied up, so being waterboarded. Yeah, it, it just felt easier to stop, like than to fucking get these death threats. So all you need is for your mother to threaten to murder you, and that's that's the detox to cope. Pretty much, and like you know, I could have because I could have dealt with the fact if it was mom threatening to murder me because I would have been like, you're full of shit, you won't do it. But then she was like threatening cancer, and I'm like, ooh, C-word. you have form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, C words big. And I, I, yeah, apparently aspartame poisoning is an actual thing. Like, yeah. but, uh, and also your farts are lethal. Did you get the worst? No. Did you not? I okay. don't really fart. <laughs> or burp. Confessions. <laughs> Seriously, I don't. I really you, don't. You've never burped or farted? I used to say I, I, I really don't think I've ever burped. Back I, in 1996, <laughs> I had the worst fart I ever did. Like, you, you, you've you never ever farted. No, I have Where farted. You, I have farted, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever burped. You've never burped? I honestly, I can't remember one burp I've ever done. That's something I want to really do right now. I wish I had like just something like a <laughs> bottle of Coke here just to make you burp. I think give you a relapse or something. Yeah, no, I really don't think I've ever burped in my life. Wow. I certainly don't remember. And I, I do fart, but like very rarely. I'd never fart in front of someone. Coke Zero farts are the worst. Like really? they are death. They are utter death. Yeah. <laughs> Combined with Guinness, my other favorite thing in the world. It's just it's a it's a concoction of nonsense. Like you don't. Yeah, that's a- awful. And do you think you mentioned the, the the twitch element? Do you think that that is connected to the caffeine? I think so. Mm. I definitely think so. I don't. I, did you ever notice that? I have a little, yeah. I have a bit of a tick. Like yeah. Um, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's definitely caffeine related or just ex- sometimes you get a bit excited and stuff but like my brother has tics as well it's I, I'd love to know the psychology behind it but like we always kind of my brother does the thing where like if he's excited he rubs, rubs his cheeks he'll fucking mm. kill he won't listen to this it's fine I can say whatever I want Yeah. but um, he's done it since childhood like since he was a young kid he'll do this people who are listening to this can't see what I'm doing but he'll do that if yeah, he's excited like, like you're pretending to cry kind of like you're pretending to cry exactly like mm-hmm. that Um, and it's very subtle like and he, he kind of doesn't do it in public but if he's comfortable around us he will like and it's it's weird I don't know what it is that brings that on but um, yeah mine is that like that's mm. always I kind of I just blink yeah kind of blink so yeah not yeah. really a bad habit no but, it's not uh, really. I think coke is I was trying to dovetail to coke I think that was yeah. I was so ashamed about my coke habit that um, but there you go now it's out in the open yeah I love it right let's go cool. okay here we go next out the gate we have number four do you have it uh, no no worries number four do you consider yourself a jealous person Ooh, um, no, I don't think so. I think um, in kind of our industry, um, the acting acting kind of world, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of that. Like I live in London and there's a lot of like, what are you doing? Or, 
you know, what's next or what's this. And then if you are working, people are trying to bring you down. And I think, in my experience, that doesn't exist as much in Ireland. Mm -hmm. I think particularly in the Dublin scene there's a lot of support like obviously myself and yourself are very supportive of what each other what we what we do mm -hmm. um my buddy Emmett Byrne um who's done loads in in um in 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 Ireland what what's the show that he's he's the lead guy in the striking out striking out sorry brain gone mm -hmm. fucking farted um yes like in striking out he's um I haven't seen it because I live in I live in London but um like he's just finished doing that I think they've just done their second series Is yeah, second yeah series? that's just been out yeah just been out and um he actually came over and did a did a gig in London for like 3 months and it was that thing of like oh man I'm so glad you're doing well and he's really glad that I'm doing well and there is a lot of kind of camaraderie that I think it's not that it's uniquely Irish, but I think Irish people have um, have a big kind of um, kind of a grow for other people, and we want to see our friends doing well. So personally, I don't think so. I think everyone in this industry have like will have ups and they'll have downs, and you might be in a show at one point and like looking down at everyone and being a dick, but I guarantee you, in three months' time, the person you were a dick to might get their break, and then you'll be down. And I just think unless we support each other then what's the fucking point right because it's a, it can be a nasty industry but I'll always try and my, my personal best to help people so generally no I wouldn't say I get jealous romantically is that different ha romantically uh, yeah yeah you can get a bit yeah yeah and what would be the thing that will do it is it like is it like seeing something or is it if you see an ex or is it seeing someone that you're kind of like seeing but it's in that like ambiguous like we're not together but we're not not together yeah I don't know I don't know I think with relationships are a funny one I think we all get jealous I think naturally we can get jealous but I'll always try to like maybe verify if my jealousy is like worthwhile do you know what I mean if I had like an ex I had like a girl who kind of I was mad about and we went out for quite a while and then we broke up but we're still kind of seeing each other mm. like we we would meet up and kind of still hook up and she'd come and see my shows and all this kind of crack and I really wanted to make it work and she didn't but then slowly but surely the text like started getting less and less and less and I was like she's definitely fucking seeing someone like so I would just you just have to ask like are you seeing someone and then like is my jealousy unfounded but yeah of course we get jealous like if you're I yeah I guess so do you? Um, Am I allowed to ask you that question? Oh absolutely <laughs> yeah uh, romantically I don't think I'm a jealous person. No, it's funny. An ex-girlfriend of mine was like, "Like it really annoys me. You are so not jealous." Like she, she called that out as You're being just like a, cool. Yeah, but I also, um, <laughs> but this is like a little bit of arrogance or ego coming out. But like, I did. I I rarely. It's not that I rarely feel like threatened by someone else, but I'm kind yeah. of like I love what we have and I trust that. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like, but, if, but, if sorry, I, that's not to say well, that you don't. No, 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 no. But that's exactly what. So like, so that that instance, that's someone who I'm like kind of seeing but kind of not seeing or like we're going out but we're not going out but in an actual relationship I wouldn't say so because I kind of go like if you want to be my girlfriend then like if you didn't you just don't be my girlfriend do you know what I mean right. like so if you're with me then you're with me that's that's it and if, if I found out someone cheated on me or anything like that I'd be like okay so cool see you later like I wouldn't necessarily get jealous and, and it's only if I think if it was founded, like so, if someone was cheating on me, I would probably know, or I'd, I could get an inkling of it. Right. But uh, but I agree with you. Yeah, if they're going out with you, then why would you be jealous? Do you yeah, know what I mean? no, but it's it's funny though. I, I know what I said there is true, and I stand by that. However, at the same time, um, there was there was an incident in my life very recently where someone that um I had been with, and again, kind of comparable to what you were saying, we were in that place of like, okay, we're broken up now, but like we were still hanging out a lot, like we yeah. were best friends and, and, and then we would be sleeping together or whatever so like there were these blurred lines 
but then they found something serious and, and real and proper yeah. with, with someone else. And it, that was really interesting because it it wasn't the fact that there was someone else that I found challenging. It was who the someone else was and not like that their yeah. their name or like I didn't I don't actually know the person but like Sean Carey. It, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but inevitably like I I I I knew I knew what they looked like and yeah. I, I knew like little things about them like that like are the skeleton of a person and they weren't things that like I associated with her or with us or with her values. Right. That was very challenging for me because yeah. I was like that like which which I have no right to be challenged you by can that. Be like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah a I little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like I found that very challenging because I was like, oh, this this doesn't compute with the way I see you, like yeah. the way I've known you. So that was challenging. Of course. Um, in career wise, I don't think so. I think like I definitely catch myself being like, that is amazing, and I want that too. Like yeah. I have that feeling, but I'm, I'm I never have the feeling begrudging someone else for it. As in, like you would look at something and go. I'd love to be in that, but you wouldn't be like, "Fuck, I want, I'm better than that guy." I, I, why yeah. does that guy get to be that person? Like that kind of. Yeah, if I was gonna be jealous, it would never be of a gig. I think I would be jealous of auditions. Actually, yes. I I could relate to that more because I never whoever gets a gig, fuck me, they've had to work for it and they've had to, yeah. you know, um, for whatever reason it was, come out like on coming out on top isn't the best way to look at it. But they have to be like the number one out of probably minimum eight other people. Yeah. So you're like, right, you fucking earn that. But like, I do sometimes struggle when you can't get seen for something that you just feel right for because you, you automatically like think you have something to give. Oh yeah, that can back, yeah, yeah. I mean, that can, yeah, it's not necessarily jealousy, I guess. It's more kind of frustration because mm-hmm. where is this selection process coming from? And like, like, if like like because we haven't gone to a drama school in London, do you know what I mean? Like a DIT is a great course and stuff like that, but they would be more inclined to see maybe someone from Rada or Central or or, or the Lear or the Gaiety or the Lear or the Gaiety or totally. something. There there can be kind of a certain snobbery, and I as someone who hasn't gone to drama school, I I I, I struggle with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit like I don't think in my head wherever you go to school, yes, certain schools have certain names and stuff but there are plenty of bad people who've come out of Rada plenty of excellent people who've come out of Rada plenty of shite people who've come out of the gate plenty of good people like it doesn't matter where you train or where you learn your craft sometimes like myself I learned on the job and I learned by going to kind of night classes and different classes I learned my craft very differently mm-hmm. but I don't think I like I still got the gigs you know but like um, when I, I got Play That Goes Wrong was my last kind of big one in London and I got into that because I I saw it in the West End, fucking loved it. I thought, this is an amazing play. And I got a job front of house at the theatre. So I was ripping the tickets and selling the ice creams and just watching the show and learning it. And through that, I got, I kind of, um, I got to know some of the cast and got to know some of the directors and I kind of had to hustle my way in. But that was quite a weird roundabout way to get an audition. Whereas had I gone to Central, I probably would have just gotten in off the bat, you know. So, so that can make you a little bit jealous, I guess, but... Jealous might not be the right word. It makes us a bit more motivated to kind of fucking get where we need to get. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To kind of like. No, I think about it all the time. Like I really, I, I, yeah. I, I, I. It won't sound like I'm repeating myself to listeners, but like I said, we just had Kevin in here and we mm. did a chat, and we were talking about. I was telling him that one of the things I've realised about myself over the last two months or so is how important the like my perceived narrative of my life is, like the story yeah. of my life. Yeah. For example, the story of you getting that job by starting as ripping tickets and then. You know, oh, one day like you met a cast member. Oh, there's the director, whatever. And then eventually you get into the audition room. You smash the audition. You end up being cast in the show. Yeah. What a fucking great story! It's a cool story. It's yeah, a brilliant it's story. Crack, like, yeah, yeah. And like <laughs> similarly for me, like I have a story in my head about like 
you know, you were uh, born a young, small child in Uganda. You sailed to Ireland in a boat made of uh, Rice Krispies. Cue the Rocky music. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and like, so I, I have this story in my head about um, about like, yeah, where like my root in the industry or wherever it might be. But like, it's so funny. I love, you know, in, in one way, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to have gone to somewhere like the Lear. I don't think that's talking at a school. Like, if you go to the Lear, you're probably a really good actor because all the training that you get there is brilliant. Yeah, of course. And you also get to work with like people in the industry, which is yeah. just undeniably helpful because you know they'll know you're a decent person and they'll want to like get you in the room because you deserve a fucking go Absolutely. if you haven't gone there that's not something that you necessarily have so you just got to find a way to circumnavigate that of don't course, you and like course, that yeah. like while there is a degree of frustration and like if I'm on a low day I would not be as hopeful about this but yeah. like today that's really exciting to me and it's of a course, it's a course, better yeah. story yeah. Like, it's a be- like, there's more of a narrative to it like yeah, yeah you kind of you work your way up to something yeah, yeah those stories are important of course like to me I don't know and it, maybe it's not a good thing but like even yeah even the story of doing like a podcast like this and being like and we never missed a week and we did it like 105 episodes like that that to me is a cool story. Of course it is. Like yeah, it's yeah. and and this is and even the story of this podcast because we did cold and awkward together. Like right. this is the the original incarnation. And and looking around now, we're in this gorgeous like podcast studio. I remember like we were in like a you were like a student house. Oh, the most disgusting house. There was like a dead hooker in the corner, <laughs> like just piss everywhere. <sighs> And most of that was yours. I mean, I thought that was pretty awkward. Yeah. But like, but the equipment. I mean, you just had that little recorder. Like mm-hmm. it was a little kind of a handheld yeah, thing. And H1, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know what they're called. But mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, the way that you've kind of like in what like was that two years ago? Yeah, only two years. Mm. Like we're 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 up to level two, and like you've written your own play. You're, what your third play now? Yeah, this will be third. Nearly Student. finished third. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing. I mean, that's the stories we tell. Like the guys who wrote the play that goes wrong were a bunch of Lambda grads who had like nothing. They had absolutely kind of nothing. And um, Henry Lewis, Henry Shields and, and John O'Sayer, they basically, a bunch of mates, they put together an improv troupe and they were going to Edinburgh for um, for kind of various different years just doing their improv show. And uh, three of the boys had written this play, this one act play called The Murder at Christmas. Mm. And they put it on above a pub in the old Red Lion and it was a, a, a kind of a one act play in a, in a theatre space probably no bigger than like theatre upstairs right. you know upstairs at Lanigan's and off the back of that took it to Edinburgh a producer saw it got someone else involved they were like can you make this a two act play and I mean now it's on Broadway it's just transferring it's just finished on Broadway going off Broadway now um, it's playing in every continent except Antarctica <laughs> that's a really random fact um, but now they've got like two other shows as well so it's it's their story as well kind of what's amazing about the mischief guys is I guess I identify with that a lot in that like there are people who aren't afraid of people who are hard working and um, they don't generally like categorise they won't only see drama school graduates they're very open and very open to seeing people of different backgrounds mm. uh, like my housemate Julie's an inc- incredible story as well she's on the show with me now as an understudy and um, like she didn't go to like drama school in London either so they're, so they're very open in that but I think there there are a bunch of people who love narratives, as you said, like carving out your own little story and stuff yeah. like that. And and I think these stories are carved out not through jealousy. They come <laughs> trying to bring it back to the um, sure. to the to the question. But I think the people who have these stories, like no story ever started with like I was so jealous and I just stood there being jealous. Because if you're jealous, you just sit there fucking resenting other people. But if you're not and you're proactive and you're supportive, generally you'll do all right. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I think, um, yeah. Hey guys, Tom here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but uh, here at Headstuff we have a ton of other amazing podcasts. So I'm going to throw it over to Aaron, who is going to insert a digital advert with one of the podcasts that you should be listening to. If you like this podcast, you're probably going to like a ton more on the Headstuff Podcast Network.
Hello, you're very welcome to the Alison Spittle Show advertisement with me, Alison Spittle. I'm a comedian and podcaster. I've been doing this podcast for the past two years and I love it. I've had past guests like Colin McGorman, Tara Flynn, Sophie Hagen, Deborah Francis White and future guests like Sharon Horgan. So please tune in to my podcast. You can find it on the Headstuff Podcast Network or wherever you can find podcasts. Go for it. Big time. Let's give it a spin, Paul. <laughs> oh, it's had a panic attack. Here we go. <laughs> Over your balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, number 19. Do you have it? I do. Oh, excellent. Take it off, my friend. Oh, cool. Um, oh, this is a good one. Um, the question is, have you or do you ever consider emigrating? You are an emigrant. I'm a filthy immigrant. How does that sentence sound in your ear when you say, like, you are an I'm an immigrant, immigrant like, I, like I'm climbing a wall or something like that, or <laughs> some kind of, like, a dirty word. Um, it's so funny that it's all going to be so different. Like, if you decide to move to London now, you're going to, like, post-Brexit London. So right. you're probably going to have to apply for, like, citizenship and all that kind of crack. Um... Yeah, it's weird because London is like a stone's throw away from Dublin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can get like from my house in London to my house in Dunchoclin in like less time than it would take me to visit my grandparents. So it's like, yeah, it's a weird thing. I it, It's funny. We have like quite a a really nice, vibrant Irish community in London. And I have a lot of great friends from home who live there. So mm-hmm. um, coincidentally, I happen to live like down the road from for from two of my best mates in Ireland. And that's incredible because it kind of gives us a little um it gives us a little kind of yeah our own little community and our own little piece of home like to have two people from Navin who are living down the road by no other by just pure coincidence mm. has been amazing um yes yeah, so I moved over about three and a half years ago and uh, you talk about narratives you talk about climbing like like London is shit when you have no money <laughs> like it's fucking shit yeah I moved over. I lived in a place called Mottingham, uh, which is like Nottingham for dyslexics <laughs> um my bedroom window had bars on it. Um, my housemate was like the filthiest human being I have ever met. He wanted me to buy my own plates when I moved in because he wanted, he said basically if he wanted to have his dinner and not do the washing up, he would just leave the plates in his room. That was his logic. So he wanted me to buy my own plates so that he didn't do the washing up. Oh my God. And one time he left, he went on holidays for two weeks and left a stack of plates with food still on, with food still on them outside his bedroom. And it was like, you're a dirt bird. We had mice, my window didn't close properly and I opened the front door to find a bunch of mice going through our bin one day, like opposite my window. Mm. So you talk about a story. That's where we started in London. So that was shite. I was working in a call centre selling wine subscriptions to people, um, which, you know, would make a fucking great play or a great story because the amount of like abuse you get. But um, but once you're like working, it's grand, like it's fine. And you kind of settle, you kind of, I feel like moving away is hard and it's scary and it's quite daunting. And I think it's like, I think I saw this in a Black Mirror episode, but it was the best analogy I ever heard. It's that like moving country is like jumping into a swimming pool. You know, it's going to be cold and there'll be this initial shock. But after a second, your body will get used to it and it'll be grand. Mm. So like, it's such a daunting thing to do. But when you actually just fucking do it, you will find a way no matter what you do in life. It'll work out is yeah. is what I think it's a really important thing. But um, yeah. What's your relationship to Ireland or coming back home? I, it changes. It changes a lot. I feel very much Irish. I feel like a very much I'm an Irish person. When I go over there, I've been told that I sound like someone doing an impression of an Irish person. Um, I don't know how to take that, but it's great. Um, I think being Irish is very much part of my identity. 
Um, but then I come home. I've been home for a few weeks now because we were we're off on a bit of a break from the show, and um, I'm quite itchy to get back. Mm. I've I guess it's like Stockholm syndrome. After kind of three years, you kind of get used to London and you're used to the kind of the the go go nature of it. And when you have your friends there and your kind of life there, like when I'm not working as an actor, I there's a local pub uh, down the road from where I from where I live that I work in. And ever since I've worked there, I've gotten to know these regulars and the locals that I can walk down to Sainsbury's and be like, "Ah, oh, Ian the butcher, how are you, you bollocks?" And like there'll be a bit of cracking. I'm almost more accepted in London now than I am in in my hometown. Mm. Because I think Dunchocklin people, I don't know about Dunboyne people, they're, it's not that, they, they are supportive, but like, if you don't play Gath, they just don't know what to say to you. Like, it's like, well, here's you going? You're still acting yet? Fair play to you. Like, that's kind of the extent of conversation that I can have um, at home. So like, I've started to feel not more at home because like my family will always be home to me. I think, um, yeah, I think home for me is my family, not necessarily where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, the people, my friends and stuff, that's home. So, yeah, I'm just kind of used to it now, I guess. Uh, I'm very much an Irish person living abroad. I'll never not be Irish. I know some Irish people who go over and within like two months, they're like, all right, governor, what's going on? And and they're dickheads. I just think like, fuck off, keep your accent, you prick. Like, yeah. there's no need to like blend in or whatever. Um, so, yeah. I remember kinda... talking to you you, you were definitely living in London at the time, yeah. And it probably it was it definitely was call center time when you were there. And I remember talking to you, and I was really interested in where your head was at because I'm not sure if you remember this, probably but probably wanted to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very interesting to me, and I, yes. I, I wish you followed through. Yeah, why are you still alive, Sean? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> but you said you were you were talking about how like you were giving this a go, and this is what you were yeah. doing. But you also very much had that thing of like I don't have to do this. I could go and become a geography teacher, or, yeah, or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Um. What you do? Like now, you know, on the back of like you know having worked in the West End for a couple of years or whatever that was, yeah. and now being on you know a big long like eighteen month tour with again a, a really successful franchise at yeah. this point. Like, what is your relationship to the industry and longevity and career and just the rest of your life? Yeah, um, I I feel prostitution is my natural uh the next the natural next step. Mm. Um, I think I've got the body, I've got longevity in mm-hmm. my. I'm gonna stop this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just I, this is a family podcast. I'm going to stop. Um, it's a funny one because I I don't know about you, but like I don't really think of longevity. I think kind of unfortunately you have to think like, okay, I'm employed for a year. This mm. is great, so I'm going to enjoy this as much as I can. Mm. Um, I love being able to go to work and love what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the same. The last show I did in Dublin was Borstal Boy, and I just I just love getting up and being like, great, we're going to work, and it's the thing of. It's the exact same as a normal job in that we'll go, we'll moan about maybe having to come in a bit early or something like that. Someone will be doing a crossword backstage or, you know, we'll all go out as a cast. And um, I like the the normal kind of nature of it, but you also get to do what you love. It's the perfect combination. Yeah. It's, it's really hard because we can't do that all the time. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. If you spend too much time worrying about the future and longevity, you don't enjoy any of... The, the present and at the moment like with Play That Goes Wrong it was such a dream a dream part and there were so many kind of amazing things that happened um, even with um, w- w- with with bank robbery I'm going to do a slight uh, dovetail but this is a, a really gorgeous story mm. um, after Play That Goes Wrong I was unemployed for about three months and had no idea what was coming up and uh, my housemate Julie um, who I've lived with for maybe two years who's from Glasgow she 
was in the same boat. She hadn't really done anything bar panto. She'd do panto every year. So her agent was kind of taking her for a bit of a ride. He would literally roll her out every Christmas for panto and then she wouldn't work for the rest of the year. And she was playing Wendy in Peter Pan every year. She played Wendy three years in a row, uh, twice with David Hasselhoff, which I thought was quite interesting. Oh, great. Um, But basically this year she was like, look, she contacted the producers and said, look, can I be Cinderella? Can I be Snow White? Can I be anyone else other than Wendy? This is not good for my mental health. And they just said no. They said, no, sorry, you're you're a Wendy. So respectfully, she declined. Um, She left her agent. She didn't feel like it was working out. And me and her sat in my kitchen going, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, we have nothing. We're unemployed. This is this is mad. Anyway, I got bank robbery. And Julie, I was like, look, there's this class coming up. There's that class coming up. There's this class coming up. Mischief Theatre are running an improv workshop. Do this class. And four months into our run, one of our cast members ended up getting uh, vocal nodules. And she unfortunately had to be let go. Mm. So her understudy got bumped up. While this was going on, I contacted Julie and I said, look, mate, this is a long shot, but this is the script. There might be a job coming up here. Lo and behold, our director saw Julie in that class and brought her in. And she's now on the tour with me as the understudy. This is someone who had she not just taken the balls to fucking go and, and do it. Um, then our first time on stage, she understudies my mother in the show. And the first time that me and her got to go on stage together was in front of her family and my family for the first time. Wow. And uh, the last thing we do on stage together is I hug her and I say, I love you, Ma. And I hug her and I don't want to give away the plot, but that's the last thing we do. And before we went on stage, I said to her, I was like, look, this isn't Sam and Ruth. This is me and you right now. So in front of all of our family who had not seen the show, we look at each other. I give her a hug. I'm fucking bawling, crying. I'm like, I love you, Ma. Like best moment ever. Yeah. Julie told me after the show, she was like, Sean. If I started crying, I wouldn't be able to stop and I had to finish that scene. So what she actually did, I, with tears in my eyes, went, I love you, Ma. And she went, I love you too, Sammy. And then just like, didn't even look at me, like might as well have punched me in the shoulder. And I was like, I now just look like an utter gimp. But, um, but, but if we, like, yes, longevity is always a worry. We are always, you finish a job, you're like, what the fuck is next? Mm. But something else, comes along do you know mm. and all you can do in those in between times is just try and get somewhere else you never stop working you're always doing classes you're always trying to get in front of the right people and when you're in a show like this you're inviting people to come and see you and you're making contacts that way um, but you also have to take sometimes take a step back and like that is one of my best friends and I literally got to hug her in front of all of our family and friends mm. uh, and it was in Glasgow it was her hometown as well so like it was this incredible moment that if I'm Spending too much time going, what's next? I don't get to enjoy that. And yeah. that was that was incredible. That was a really cool little moment. Yeah, I love it, man. Little tear. Right, let's give it a spin. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number 35. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. Number 35. The question is, how do you feel about being the age you currently are? Yeah, 27. Um, <laughs> I went, um, when I turned 27, I rang my mum and I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm the same age Amy Winehouse and Kurt Cobain were when they died. My mum just went, yep, yeah, look what they had achieved by your age. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 27's cool. It's grand. I'm kind of like getting into that stage of like, shit, I'm in my late 20s. Mm. Um, I think like on what we were just talking about career wise, I'm pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's quite all consuming at the moment because I'm on tour. So like literally this is my life. Mm. And like I spend every waking minute with my amazing cast. You are all fucking legends. It's very rare you have a cast of like complete fucking legends, but mm. we do. Mm. So my my whole life is kind of consumed by that. So I haven't really thought about other things. But um, yeah, I mean, it gets a little bit frightening because we're going down like like mortgage 
routes and think like I know people are buying houses and a lot of friends of mine are getting engaged now and um but I think because of the nature of the business that we choose not that we mature um later we just have a different way of life our mm. priority isn't getting a mortgage it's not getting married it's like because we 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 like you know yourself like you get a job where you're going on tour for ages it's very hard to maintain a relationship it's mm. very hard to um sometimes even meet people because if you meet someone in your industry they might get a tour um, like my last relationship uh, unfortunately had to end because I was going on tour for a year she was going on tour on a separate tour for a year and a half and I just uh, it was it was shit but I was just like I can't really see how this is going to work um, so it's a weird age it is a weird age because it is the age when other people are getting very stable and even though we might be doing very well in our chosen careers we're I guess we can't value ourselves though on what we have whether it be a be engaged or have the mortgage and I've got a pension I mean I guess I feel like kind of that's the most it's the most grown up thing I have I've yeah, got a pension yeah, I've had good. a pay into my pension for the last two years um, yeah it's hard I I think that the, the difficulty when you are an age like this is it's the comparisons and you start to compare mm. how do you feel about that like comparing yourself to other people oh I find that that, that to be hard I do like um, yeah I do and I uh, it's a weird thing in my head I always had a 24 in my head I'm 25 now I always had a 25 of course yeah. I always had 24 was going to be like something mad was going to happen like yeah. I was like something really cool was going to happen or I was going to die you're going to get pregnant or something or yeah. just like yeah like, I always had that Um, and 25 I have not in like not I don't want to I don't want to you know project fucking you know circumstance onto an age but like I I found 25 challenging and I also found it challenging because again going back to that story thing of like your life I was like oh this this is like your mid 20s even though 24 probably is you can kind of like yeah. flog it off as being early 20s like yeah. 25 I was like oh this is like your mid 20s yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. and I and like again like I I I and I, as a person I have my shit together in a lot a lot of ways mm. but like at the same time, yeah, I suppose. But it it also excites me because um, I do think at the older you get, like the, the more trust the world seems to give people. If that makes sense, like I think that like the kind of things I want to do in life might be a little bit hard to trust a twenty four, twenty five year old with, but are probably right. a lot easier to trust a twenty seven, twenty eight year old. You with. as a writer or something like that. If you come to people and go, I've written something. There's a tendency for people to go, What do you know? You're you're only a kid. Whereas people will take you more seriously if you're. I think so, yeah. I, and that's yeah. wrong. And I'm, and I'm really one of the things I'm trying to work on is to not allow that narrative like into my life too much, so you become a slave to it. But I, I do think there is some, and I actually think in particular in the Irish psyche, maybe yeah. like we do have that thing of like you know that thing of like respect your elders, which is true, and yeah, you should. Yeah. But at the same time, like respect young people; they're fucking great. Of course, but look, look, look at Martin McDonough wrote like the Lean trilogy at like twenty one or something like that. Like really crazy young age. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. You see, I don't like hearing something like yeah, that because because you're like oh, like same with Conor McPherson. Like he wrote the the weir. I think. 25 and you're like wow that's like a masterpiece do you know what I mean yeah and it's like what's your insight into this I think though like if you talk to any of these people like they're not um, I mean no they are geniuses but they wouldn't consider themselves that they mm. kind of they're like I'm just I'm just doing what I'm what I'm doing like I mean the guys who wrote our play wrote it at like 26 or I, think, yeah. I actually I think there's a there's a really f- you haven't seen play that goes wrong have you no um, there's an amazing scene I'm not going to spoil it it's the end of act one it's just this hysterical uh, sequence that apparently Henry Lewis wrote when he was like 14 or 15 years old and it's genius it's like the funniest thing um, uh, it's not really a spoiler they basically there's a scene going on and one person misses a line that causes them to go in a loop 
and the scene loops like five times and it just gets more and more like just it is just one one line that he can't get right and it just causes the scene to have to replay and replay and replay and it's genius and it's so simple but it's it's hysterical but he wrote that at 15 do you know mm-hmm. what I mean and but then there's the likes of look at Brian Cranston who like hit the big time in his 40s I think as actors we can't compare our lives to if you're a teacher or if you're a, an accountant or there's the, the ladder can take a very long time to climb it can not take very long to climb it can because I, I, I'm not a writer I mean you're a phenomenal writer but from what I from what I hear like you're you're going up and up and up but I know what you mean like you kind of you kind of go oh clock's ticking do you know what I mean yeah but yeah. it's interesting this is another thing and again I really want to be careful of not like falling into these narratives that mightn't exist but I the people that I tend to admire like career wise in terms of like I could give you a list but there's people like Sharon Horgan who does the Catastrophe series like even Chris O'Dowd someone I really admire uh, Pete Holmes is an American guy I really admire Mike Birbiglia these are all people who like it, it, you know I, like I was ne- I was never gonna be like a Barry Keoghan or something yeah. like that He's a freak. He's amazing. He's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, He's yeah. a gifted, gifted, gifted young man. Yeah. Like that's not like that's not me. And it never will be and never has been. But like what like I I see way more of myself in those kind of people. Yeah. Which is I, I don't even know is it reassuring, but like it would not surprise me if like the things that I want to do because I really do the, I really do believe the things that I want to do will happen. Like I, I actually believe that. Yeah. Um. But it's like it's it's always that thing of like yeah when you really really want something and you're really working hard for something you're just kind of like like it you know it's that thing of like if or when and to me it feels like when but you are asking that question like so or, when is the little thing gonna happen that I need yeah. to happen whatever it is yeah. or your parents are asking or it's like you yeah. finish a job and they're like so what's next sure. Panto used to, I used to fucking hate it like if you'd do a panto and the parents of the little kids yeah. would come up to you and they'd go so what's next and I'd be like oh I just hibernate for 12 months and come back for fucking Cinderella yeah. like it's like there's always that unfortunate kind of kind of like a, a patronising kind of thing and like mm. kind of a and I just I just think it's not fair to to, to, to expect that of an actor because we naturally are going to have highs and lows and like mm-hmm. and again that feeds back to we talk about the jealousy and the kind of like just don't be a dick because you'll have your you'll have your day but you'll also have your times when you're not working and it's just yeah. like just try not to be a dick and don't try to compare yourself and um there was cuz I'm a massive fan of the blind boy podcast and he talks a lot about um an external locus of evaluation versus an internal locus of evaluation and this idea that you are intrinsically a good you're not a good person but you are you have value as a human being no matter what you do and we tend to kind of go like even for the three months that I wasn't working after play finished before bank robbery did, I was starting to feel down and feeling like I'm not a good person. I'm not doing what I should be doing. And that's not a healthy place to be. You know, you can't value yourself on what you've done or what you're doing because, as you said, there's ups and downs. And if, if you can't just accept that sometimes it's going to be good and sometimes if you it's it's a thing of like positive if you let the positive side, like if you're working, if you let that affect your life too much or if you place too much value on that, then when the other side of it comes along and you're not working, it's going to hit you a lot harder. So I guess you have to, you have to obviously enjoy working, but you also have to keep a level head and it's hard. I don't know if that just contradicts what I said earlier, but it is, it is a very important thing, especially at this age as well. Never feel like I should be doing this. Mm -hmm. Just you're doing what you're doing and you're getting there as best you can, but don't be getting too down if you're not where you need to be. Do you know what I mean? Because it'll happen. I hope. Roll them balls. Yes, sir. Whoop, there we go. And uh, number 36. Do you have it? I don't. No worries. No number idea. 36. Do you feel more comfortable in the city or the country? Oh, um, 
city, I would say. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, that's a funny one because I love to like go for a break with friends to the country and mm-hmm. I love like being around nature and I love like going for walks and I love that aspect of it. Um, I think my, my lifestyle, it's funny, it's, it's, that's a really interesting question because cause the country can have really positive like connotations like like wildlife and peace and quiet and all that but there can also be closed-mindedness kind of everyone knowing your business and all that kind of thing um because i love the the nature aspect of it and the getting away from it and all that kind of serene calm i don't really like that about the bustling kind of london scene um but at the same time the anonymity can kind of be kind of nice a little bit Mm. like in a in a good way, no one really gives a shit about you, so you can do whatever you want. No one's going to be like, "Oh, you drank too much there that night, or you made a show of yourself, or you disgraced the parish, or any of that kind of crack." Yeah. No one really gives a fuck. Um, so I kind of like that aspect. I'm kind of, I suppose, I'm a bit of both. I'm, as I said earlier, increasingly becoming more at home in London, which mm-hmm. I never thought I would be. I thought I'd always kind of long for home, and maybe it's because I'm working, or maybe because whatever. Like, but I'm kind of used to London life now, so that when I get home, I kind of get a little bit itchy for something a bit more. Do you see yourself living in Ireland again? Yes, I'd like to. Mm-hmm. I'd like to. I love the Dublin theatre scene. Mm-hmm. I love that you can go to the Workman's Club and you'll bump into someone who's doing something cool and you're like, great, that's class. And you have a little chat. I love that. Mm. Um, I think that is more prevalent in Ireland, more supportive. Um, people tend not to size you up in Dublin if you're an actor. They're not like scoping you out and seeing if you're worth talking to. Whereas in London, you can get that a lot. You know, I've... I remember going to a certain... Um, did you ever go to Freedom? You went to Freedom. I think we went to Freedom once or twice in London. Mm. But like Freedom would be... Before I was working was like, where did you train? I didn't train. Oh, what are you in? Not in anything. Uh, oh, really? Okay. And you're not worth their time. Right. Whereas now if I if I tell them I was in play that goes wrong or if I'm in bank robbery, their eyes light up and they want to talk to you. And I think that's quite a nasty um, a nasty way to be. You know, yeah. you shouldn't you shouldn't rate someone on what they've done. Um, and that doesn't exist as much in Dublin. So I would like to... I would love to be a working actor in Dublin consistently. And there is there are people like that who are making a great go of it and they'll do the Abbey to do the gate and the gate or whatever like that. Mm. And have your few pints and Lanigans and go home and have a job and a family. And that's great. And I think that is actually what I would love to do. Mm. I would love to come home. But um, but yeah, I guess that's city life though, isn't it? Like that is like I would love yeah. to be in Ireland, but in a city or in a kind of a suburban area. Yeah, what's nice about Dublin is like, and I, it, it sounds to me, because that's one of the things you're always warned about as someone who's looking at London as an option. People are always like, yeah, just bear in mind, you know, even for example, as you said, if I was to move over, that possibly means we'd still live two hours away. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, if, yeah. If, if I live an hour outside, you live an hour outside, then we got to go in to come out, whatever the fuck it is. Oh, there's people like, who who live, and, and like, especially when I first moved there, like I didn't see for fucking years, like, like, right. like, like literally, and, and it is like another country. And Whereas you, that won't happen in Dublin. Not at all. No, yeah. no, you meet them in a... So it's like, that's what is nice about Dublin is you've got that like sense of like parochial community sometimes maybe, um, but you've also got like, it's a, you know, it's a bustling city and there's yeah. there's shit happening. Yeah. But yeah, 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 it's it's so interesting. It's like, it's like with everything and like, I mean, I assume you saw the Abbey letter that, that's gone. Did you see that? No, I haven't. I've oh, you heard, haven't? I, did I hear about this, about the co-productions thing? Is yeah, it, yeah, like this like, um, it, it's... And I think that it's right that it's being flagged, but like, you know, it is interesting, you know, as an actor in Dublin, like you do sort of look 
to London and you're like, there is so much going on and there's yeah. obviously so many brilliant people. Yeah. Whereas in Dublin, you're like, there's a lot of brilliant people too, but there's so little going on. But no one's putting it on. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I, I, I adored Come From Away and I assume, is this, is the, the issue was that... That was the, the, I think it was described as the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Was the fact that there's no Irish-based, they, they haven't cast an Irish-based actor in the Abbey in something like five and a half months. Yeah. Which is massively problematic. It is, but I mean, unfortunately, it's because... We're, we're not getting seen unless we do go over there do you know what I mean I mean mm. I, I was seen for um, You Never Can Tell a few years back and uh, that was kind of the only audition I had for the Abbey but like, oh yeah, I've never auditioned as someone based in someone in Dublin based... with like one of the best agents in Dublin and he's like worked in like yeah. all the theatres really except for the gate and the Abbey but yeah. it's like but there are so many phenomenal Irish actors and, and I guess there, there's two sides to that story I guess like it, it, it's unfair to kind of judge and go oh well they just they're not even based in Ireland but if they're Irish I mean we left because no one it's a vicious circle basically yeah. we leave because there's no work for us but then if we come back and we want to work at home they're like oh well you know he went off no like, and that's it's, it's, that's it's, definitely it's sorry I might have yeah. misrepresented but that's definitely not what I was saying yeah. no one has an issue with that at all yeah. but what they were saying is that like it is problematic that like these co-productions are happening so first of all people aren't being paid the abbey wage they're being paid 25% less because it's a co-production so for example like something like asking for it that's a landmark production that is invited into the abbey but that means no one's getting paid the abbey rates which actually aren't very good anyway but they're being paid even less than that and that production would have been going on anyway it's only that the abbey were like oh this sounds like a good idea let's get them in but that just means there should be like landmark should be doing their shows and the abbey should be doing their shows Instead, yeah. they're putting them together, and that just means like that's cutting like half the potential jobs. Right. Something like it's the figures are. Re- you should read the letter. It's worth reading because yeah, it, yeah. it, it's real. I'm it, quite to be honest. I'm so like out of the loop. I don't really know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. No, what's moment, good about like, it is like I yeah. I think that there's a way of looking at the letter be like where it's like people are being like these guys aren't doing their fucking job right and they need to go. I actually think these guys are good guys and I don't I don't think there's any ill intention and I think yeah. if anyone's gonna like listen and try and fix it I think it's them I know nothing yeah. about them this is only like an instinct I have I suppose but I think yeah. they're really reasonable people and they, they probably will listen and it's like anything like you know things needed to change and that was like happened at the gate it's happened at the abbey right. and it's like these changes just take a bit of time to tease out like the right way to do it of course yeah, yeah but yeah. um, yeah it's interesting yeah it's interesting right we give it a spin give it a spin okay here we go number five do you have it no no worries. Number five. The question is, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to be an animator mm. initially. Uh, I remember the first thing I wanted to do was draw cartoons. I used to love drawing like caricatures and all that kind of stuff. Mm. I don't know how I fell out of that. Um, I was always shit at sports. Right. Like fucking brutal. Like couldn't catch a cold. Mm. So like I like everyone else would be out playing like tip the can. I'd be in drawing a fucking picture or watching TV. I don't know when the acting thing came into play. I think like I did like a school play or two, but it was always just a hobby. And I think when I joined Navin Musical Society, um, I met a lot of people who were professional actors. One being Killian Donnelly, who's now uh, just finishing up doing Valjean in the board gosh. And before then, it was never a feasible thing. I never thought you could be. I always thought that was a bit of a pipe dream. But then when you see someone who went to your secondary school actually making a go of it, that's kind of... Um, what made me go oh shit yeah I do want to fucking do this this is like something that I can do and then I kind of um, pursued like the Amdram scene for quite a while and kind of learned from fucking amazing people there because I think like the the Irish amateur musical society scene is like second to none I think it doesn't exist in, in England mm-hmm. um, I love the community that they've created and the amount of people that they nurture and 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 kind of 
encouraged to, to pursue this. You being one of them, um, myself, like Brian Gilligan, the Penston sisters, like there's so many people who who have like cut their teeth in, in local musical societies that have gone on to West End success. And I think it's 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 really great. Um yeah, but as a kid, yeah, animator. And then when I became a teenager, I kind of, yeah, I kind of more kind of found my footing with the acting thing and I've just kind of ran with that. Do you still draw? Um, I doodle. I doodle. And it's kind of, uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think, like, my art teacher in school was a lovely woman, don't get me wrong, but I'm not someone who likes rules. I think, I think especially when you're a shithead teenager, and I was like the shittest of shithead teenagers. Really? Ten years on, it's ten years since I did my leave insert, I can look back and be like, I was a bellend from about age fucking 14 to 22. And you kind of, yeah, I didn't like rules. So when I was told like, this is how you draw a nice picture, I'd be like, fuck off, man, I know how to draw a picture. So I never really kind of adhered to that and I kind of lost my love of it because it was always, for me, like art was kind of a, a way of expressing myself and there was no kind of rules to it. This is just what I enjoy doing. Mm. I'm not a technical drawer. So I kind of, I think, lost the grow of it a little bit when it was like you're drawing incorrectly. But I still doodle. I do little cartoons. I can do little, like, things, but, like, nothing nothing major. But, like... Sure. Something I wouldn't mind getting back into because I used to be I used to find it really, like, lethargic and just it's something that kind of used to chill me out a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but, like, well, no, you, you said it. You, you, like, from between, like, 14 to 22, you were, like, you were a little shit. Yeah. And, like, it's funny how you know this. Like, some people's perceptions of, like you at a certain point in their life whenever they find you like they just yeah. don't change yeah. my perception of you during that time because when we did we were friends yeah we were like 19, I was like 19 when was that you were 19, 19 yeah. you were so like no matter what's happened in our friendship and there's been times I've been like oh, Sean's annoying or whatever it would be ah. I, could, I could always you mean what <laughs> but I could oh, I would yeah. never I would never yeah. be able to say with any degree of honesty as like I know that he is very, very decent. Like you were just, and decent is the word. You were very, very decent to me during oh, thanks, that first fiddle. No, you were because I remember it real well. And I remember um, going into the rehearsal room and I came in real late in the day because I just needed literally a lad. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I came in real late in the day. I'd never done anything like this. Didn't know anyone. And it was just a very simple thing. You just came up, shook my hand, said, I'm Sean. You're like, come on over. And it was just introduced me to people. And it was real kind. <laughs> it was though. It's yeah. simple, but it's very, like, I really remember that, like, as just being a real yeah. kind thing. I think with, um, the thing is, like, like I acknowledge I was a bit of a bellend, like, but it's not, like, like at the time, I wasn't like, I am a bellend, this is who I'm being right now. I think we as people, we're always trying to be good people, and mm-hmm. I think it's it's something that we always struggle. Um, Like, my thing, we, we were only talking about this earlier, like, nervous tics and stuff can be, like, they tend to be overly nice and mm-hmm. overly kind of enthusiastic and kind of... The um as I've gotten older, the um I've, I've had the benefits of just taking a step back and not needing to please and not being eager to please has has kind of helped me immeasurably in terms of the friendships that I make, the people I get along with. I I can still be a nice person, but also not be an overly eager, like fucking hyper, just hyperactive, and because you're not being true to yourself, because yeah. no one's always happy, no one's always like. Oh yeah, great. And my thing was always like, oh great, yeah, yeah, no worries, yeah, brilliant, Grant. And fucking like hammering people over the head with that kind of enthusiasm, thinking that that's what you need and you need to be happy and need to be. And that can be quite off-putting. That can make people like, ugh, fuck off. Because I've met a few people like that who are just like, Jesus, fucking calm down, man, it's Grant. And it is like, it's Grant seems to be like the best mantra you could, you could, you could have. It's just like, it's cool. And if someone doesn't like you, it's, it's Grant. Like, you know, you don't like everyone in the world, so it it by fucking science, not everyone's gonna like you. Mm-hmm. And and if you spend less time people pleasing the people that don't like you, accept that and get along with the people you do. I think your mental health is a lot better, and also you just 
yeah, the people you surround yourself with are better. Like, and I'm in a quite a good place now. Yeah, I never. I yeah, when I say I was a bellend, I never thought I was like I wasn't going around like taking kids' lunch money and like no. pushing a kid into a no, lake or no, something. No. But um, but yeah, it's but that's what growing up is. That's what like, you know, that's what that's what life's about. And know? what do you because. Th- I think that's one thing we have in common. We both have that in us and, you know, however best you're managing it on like a week-to-week, day-to-day basis. But where does that people-pleaser part of you come from, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Do you know where yours comes from? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think it comes from... I'd say it comes from my dad, I would say. Like really wanting male approval and not that it not that it comes out in like I'm nicer to men than I am to women in fact it's possibly the opposite but like I I would say it's something like that like I I probably didn't get the love that I wanted or needed growing up so I've always I've I've always had the instinct to go looking for it elsewhere and and I the way I found it was like I have a very nice smile. Like yeah. that is a really easy way to make people like you. Yeah. Like I learned that, and oh, I, he's I will, a lovely lad. Yeah. yeah that kind and of thing, and you play up that kind totally. of lovely lad. And like thing, that's yeah. why that's there. And like now, like the journey's been, as you said earlier, to try and find like, and like that. It's not that that smile is dishonest to me, but like it was. It was also like a survival mechanism for me yeah. growing up, and that's okay. Like that's yeah. that's who I am, and I never want to lose that about me. But at the same time, like there's another side to me that's like you know the scumbag side of me or whatever. Yeah. And I am yeah. not a scumbag at all. But like you know, we'll have a horrible, horrible, horrible conversation, or we'll we'll yeah. you know we'll be honest about terrible parts of ourselves. Yeah. But that's okay because like we're complicated things, and they can coexist. It's very diff- it is very difficult. Yeah. It's that that is something that's that's hard, and and we always talk about like we always want to be the best we can be, but like. There is that kind of dark side to you that that does exist, and exists it exists in all of us. And we put on this veneer, and I think um, social media has a massive part to play as well. I think there is so much pressure on us now to pres- like to to present this carefully cultivated version of yourself mm. for work for everything. Like you have to be like having the best time doing this or having the best time doing that. And 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 yeah, I think there's so much emphasis on on presenting the nice side of you that that not that we have we we shouldn't embrace the 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 um the bad side but we should also acknowledge that it's there and we as human beings fuck up and i guess we have to forgive ourselves when we do and i'm very hard on myself and i overanalyze and i i'm filled with regret over a lot of decisions that i i've made in in my entire life but you y- i guess you can't because like cuz cuz again another blind boy thing about about um like depression and anxiety is either you worrying about things that have happened that you can't change or things that might that might actually happen like to get very deep like nothing exists except this moment in time Mm -hmm. and then that's the past and then the future doesn't exist like nothing exists except now so the past is just a story we tell ourselves over and over again and we're literally spent so much of our lives like beating ourselves up and and all you're doing is like sitting there telling yourself a story but it's done it's gone you have to just let that that go I guess um, I don't know I don't know where my um, kind of enthusiasm comes from probably similar reasons to yourself mm. you know it's not something that I really um, have looked inward enough about but it's just something that I kind of try to deal with a little bit better um, nowadays But and uh, yeah like it's one of them things you have to be like that was a like a little discovery or like you know the way sometimes like a phrase will just resonate with you like, yeah oh, that that works for me and it was something but it's like that that thing of like that that is like on some level a dysfunction like within yeah. me it's also very functional and like yeah. it, it's it's probably the reason why 
like I do this job that I now love and yeah, like exactly, you know like yeah. I wouldn't be like you know I was I was actually as we were talking I was like maybe that would be a good question to add in to the list you know something like you know because you said it was a sentence you said that just struck me as being very honest of like I'm filled with regret of decisions I've made yeah yeah like that's an interesting thing if you could go back and change them would you or is it a case of like you're glad that you made them things because that's how who, we're here who, together who we are now it's a weird one isn't it like um uh, there are, I think, a mix of both. I think there are some that I very much wish I had done differently. And then others that you, you kind of look at your life now and you go like, ah, shit's actually pretty good. Like, pr- things are all right. And and people who might not initially have been um, massive fans of me are now some of my best friends. It's mad how, how different. We always kind of laugh about, like, how I used to be. And the thing is, but also, there's, like, a tendency... I'm, I'm also very conscious not to be too fucking hard on myself because I think my um, enthusiasm for things whereas it might have annoyed some people I actually think it's helped other people you know I've I've always striven to help other people in they're not fucking blowing smoke up my own hole but like you were a nervous fucking 17 year old kid who's coming yeah. to his first professional job and, and all it was was just saying hello it wasn't a big gesture but if I wasn't me I wouldn't have done that, like so. Absolutely, no. And you're always very good at being like, if there, if people were going out, you'd be like, "Are you coming?" And I like, and I didn't even, I didn't even, I was, a, I was the kind of kid who was like, I didn't know I was allowed. Allowed the night out, but yeah, we got to include people. So yeah. I think, I think, um, so I think, I guess the the hardest thing we as people have to to do is accept that we're human. We do good things and we do shitty things, and I guess all we can do is hope that we've done more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Um. But it is other way around. Good than that. No, harm than good, Tom. All we can hope is that I've fucked oh. enough people so that I can get out of here and just be like, "Fuck you, guys." No, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good than harm, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. Yeah. God, we're getting so serious. I know. Who I knew you were going to say that. Right, we're gonna spin. Uh, I'll, I'll try to ask you something about your dick or something. I don't know. It's very small. It is like comfortably average, Gary, is what I'm known to the ladies. So call me. Number eighteen. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, fuck. It's another kind of serious one. Sorry. Oh, Are there any things you do to stay healthy day to day? That's not that serious. Not that serious, but like, well, it depends what your answer I is. I think about all the suffering in the world. Yeah, and you could be uh, like, oh yeah, I murder a child a day. I feel fucking not great. every day, once a month maybe. Um, I go to the gym. I think the gym is is like the biggest. Um, uh, like I don't go to the gym to like, like look great or anything like that. Like I mean, I like looking fit. Like I don't, I don't like being like ugh. But if you go and do a, a solid hour in the gym, you stick in a podcast. You 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 know you do your bit. You come away and you feel class, like mm. the endorphins, the natural endorphins that you get, um, gives you a sense of purpose. Um, I think routine and stuff, and especially in a in a an industry where you might have your entire day free and you're just kind of like sitting around and stuff like that. I think yeah, having the the gym has been massive and giving me confidence as well. I find like I have a lot more confidence approaching, um, not just when I'm like flirting with someone, but even just in general, I feel more like. Oh, I feel good about myself. You know, you, you, you naturally feel better. Uh, if I haven't gone to the gym in a few days, I'll start to feel a bit like, ugh. Do you know mm. what I mean? I feel mm. a little bit. I'll start to get in my head a little bit. I'll start like overthinking things, getting a bit anxious. And it's just a great way to just take me out of my head. Because my, my, the biggest thing I struggle with is just always being in here. Like I need to like just get out of there. Do you know what I mean? And go and if you have a task, that'll be my big thing. Um, I'm a whore for like, as we said, like drinking Coke Zero and like eating shit. So, like, I do try to be healthy, and when I eat healthily, I feel good. Mm. But especially when you're on tour, like, we'll do two shows on a Wednesday, two on a Thursday, two on a Saturday. 
and then you'll have understudy rehearsals on a Friday. You're traveling on a Monday. You've, you're probably hung over on a Sunday. So there's very little time you get to either prepare your meals or eat healthily. You might be either hanging out your arse or just in need of some sustenance. So you'll eat something really quick and eat something fast. So although you're doing a lot of physical activity, it's very hard to like eat well. Yeah, but and uh, what, how do you manage? Are you saying in a, like a shared apartment sort of a deal? So it varies. It varies. Um, so what you can do, um, there is a website. It's kind of like Airbnb called Theater Digs Booker. So on top of your wage, you get a subsistence money. So you can book to live in someone's house, basically a room in someone's house. So I've been doing that for quite a while, and I've had an amazing experiences. I've met some lovely people. I think I only stayed in one house that I thought I was going to get murdered in, like full blown murdered. Well, tell me about it. Oh, I, I, you know, I can't even tell you. I have a video that I will show you in the pub later on of like how it was just murder house there were just like statues of the Virgin Mary everywhere mm. there was a slot machine in the hallway <laughs> there was a, a statue of Marilyn Monroe in the room that like it's just a melty faced Marilyn Monroe like if someone had held a, a magnifying glass over her face uh, like that's what she looked like I'll show you the video it's absolutely hysterical and I full blown thought I was going to get murdered mm. um, it was, it was, she was a hoarder she was a hoarder I went in there was a half eaten onion just on the cooker <laughs> food everywhere it was just it was gross it was your nightmare house other than that I've lived with amazing people really really cool people but what I've kind of started getting doing now is I will get an Airbnb with some of the cast our own place self contained so that I can like cook on a Tuesday a meal for three days and just because you feel weird cooking in someone else's house yeah do you know what I mean and there's also that thing of like you're knackered when you get home from a show you don't want to talk to anyone and you come home and Mary's making the tea and she wants to hear about the show and, and it's like Groundhog Day so like you'll get to know someone for a week and then you leave and then you have to re-get to know someone new and it starts to become a little bit cyclical and a bit like yeah. I just need time to myself yeah. and I want to feel comfortable in my own place so what me and Julie um, because we've lived together which is great uh, we just get gaffs now like a five minute walk away it's a bit more expensive but we make up the money in that we split groceries and cook so it actually works out cheaper Yeah. so that's generally what we do when nice we're on the right. Yeah. right time for one more yeah let's, let's do it give it a spin okay last at the gate we have number 17 do you have it? no I've only got one oh, the man. entire thing no, yeah not my day don't get to ask you any questions no you don't oh you're delighted yeah <laughs> no one knows about that time in Saipan no <laughs> Saipan was such a the bad Saipanese, example Saipanese no where's Saipan it's in a, I think it's in uh, South Korea I oh, think yeah. but it's where Roy Keane left the Ireland camp because you probably have no idea no the only camp you understand is musical theatre. Uh, hey, nice. <laughs> um, okay, uh, here we go. That is an interesting thing about music because it was funny because Kevin was in earlier and we were we were talking about and even from the John Dennehy episode, yeah, uh, they were talking about the whole thing of um, you know if you do musical theatre like there's that thing of like oh you know you must be into guys sort of thing oh, yes. and like uh, I would say that well like I, I don't even know I think when I it's like ah, I don't even know. I, what I was going to say was like, you know, you could easily confuse the, the me, you and Kevin are like three straight guys. Yes. Uh, but you could like, you know, you could be easily confused as like being like, oh, they could go either way. You nah, know what I mean? Yes. Sexually ambiguous looking fuckers. We yeah. are. We are. I think it's just that we're bright and peppy and shit. Like, I think because like, especially just it, particularly in Ireland, it's funny in London, no one would bat an eyelid. Mm. They wouldn't even question it. But in Ireland, it's just that we're not like, well, who's going there now? You know, like Pure Nav, and like it's just that we're very, hello, how are you? Fucking grand. Yeah. That eager to please nature, I think, might might lead to kind of, um, kind of aspersions being cast about 
what you're into. But like, it's fucking 2019. I was going to say 2018. It's 2019. Yeah. Even if you did, it's like fucking grand. Oh, I know. I know. Grand. Yeah. Who gives a fuck but anymore? Like, yeah, yeah, growing up, I remember that being like a thing. Anyway, yes. that was a weird uh, detour. But we're back now and that's all that matters. What's the greatest lesson you've learned about acting? Um, uh, shout. Uh, projection's important, so just scream. Um, facial expressions. You need to act with the most face imaginable. Uh, use your hands. Uh, directors love hands. Mm. And if you feel like you're not getting the part, offer a blowjob. That's good, man. That is that has got me every single job <laughs> I've ever done. Um, best acting lesson. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I I I think. Um, Yes, I think the best acting lesson I ever got was watching a YouTube video of Brian Cranston. Have you seen, like, everyone has seen the one from Brian Cranston? The audition one. The audition one. Yeah, stop treating it like an audition, treat it like a... A job. Yeah. Go and do your job. Yeah. Um, I have found in my experience, uh, the minute I stopped caring about getting a job and just focused on the work, I got my script and I'm like, rather than going, I really, really fucking want this because the audition is not someone... Like the panel don't turn to each other after you leave and go, God, he really wanted that. We should, we should give. He, he took a shit on the floor, but he really wanted that part. Like, do you know, like fucking, yeah. just if you go in and if you are what they want, they're gonna hire you. Mm. And um, the best example I had was I. Um, so we got play that goes wrong. I knew play that goes wrong inside out. Haven't worked front of house. I got that, and I found out I had that job the morning I was due to go in for a second audition for Les Mis. I was in for Marius, and. I got the call just before I went in. My agent does this deliberately. If you get a job, they will always just not... Like, apparently I'd got it like fucking four hours before that, but he wanted to wait until I went in. <laughs> Rang me anyway, and not that I was arrogant, but when you, when I didn't need the job, it was the best audition I ever did because mm. I just went in and I enjoyed myself. Like, the, cat, the, the, the panel were really nice. They want you to be good. They always want you to be good. Even if they're a bit reserved as people, like, they, they can... Um, they 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 they're not wasting their time. They want they want you to have the job. Mm. I went in. I cracked a joke. I made fucking Trevor Jackson laugh. I don't think he's laughed since like nineteen ninety six. But um, but I didn't care. I wasn't nervous. Like and and at the end of it, they were just like, "Well done, Sean. That was a fantastic audition." And I went out and I didn't take it. I, I was through to the finals, but I withdrew because I um because I got play that goes wrong. But it was that thing of like, just when you just focused on, like what you were meant to do I was meant to learn those songs I you know I did my job and they loved they, they were they were happy with it you mm. know and that's all that matters it was the same with play that goes wrong so the best acting advice I got was like yeah they're not out to get you panels aren't out to get you and an audition is just a chance to perform and it's v much easier said than done but I found the more work I did on whatever audition I've had if I really fucking worked for it I've maybe not gotten it every time but I can walk away and go I did my job I'm happy with my version of this character if this is right for you guys wonderful if not then off which is thanks very much for the chance yeah. so yeah so yeah just chilling out I think the overarching like thing of today is like it'll be grand yeah, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. older we get the more grand we feel about life is that what you're saying about like the world gives you more permission I think but you also don't seek as much validation or as much permission I think that's why people respond better to someone who doesn't give as much of a fuck yeah, man. I think that's life there's something to be said for it mm. come here this has been daddy thank you for doing it oh, no worries man um, I know you are coming on tour to Dublin which is very exciting with Bank Robbery yes so maybe tell us a little bit that when it's here uh, where we can get tickets all that yes stuff. so we are on tour with the comedy about a bank robbery it is written by the guys who did the play that goes wrong mm -hmm. uh, we're in the Gaiety Theatre from the 7th of May until the 11th the Saturday I think that's the 11th 
Um, yeah, Gaiety Theatre, my favourite theatre in Dublin. I cannot wait. It's where we did our first show together. That's right. Uh, do you remember when Aaron Cawley fainted? Can you tell the story of when Aaron Cawley fainted? This is just a funny dovetail. Um, I can because it was probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. Also kind of the funniest thing that ever oh, has happened to us Oh, definitely. But we were basically, it was the last night of Fiddling the Roof and we were all winding up this amazing tenor. He had this one, he only had one thing to do in the whole show where he stood in a fucking table. He was playing this Russian... Um, lad, Tenor, like yeah. soldier, and he just got up and say, and he just went like had this big like, and we were like, oh, come on, we think you can do it longer. And the next night, go on, you do it a bit longer. Go on, do it longer. And then the last night came, and he was like, I am gonna blow you fuckers away. He stands up on the table, faints. He faints, falls off the table. Like he, he's so out cold, he can't even put his hands out to stop himself. I honestly was like, okay, I'll carry the dead body off the we stage. We all thought he was dead. Like, so you're in front of 2,000 people, our last night of Fiddler on the Roof, and like, there was this moment of suspension in the entire room where we thought he was dead. And then he got up and just carried on singing, and we're like, okay, we're grand, we're grand, we're grand. But a like, huge laugh from the audience. Oh, they pissed themselves. It was just, it was the fact that he like, I think he just didn't breathe properly because he was trying to like impress us, all. impress us. And it was that thing of like, ah! but like as he fell, it was like a tree falling. Ah! Yeah, yeah. Like his voice went with the fall. Yeah. Um, like I have nothing but the funniest memories of the Gaiety Theatre. Like it's the only theatre I know of that you can do your show and have a pint waiting for you in the green room when you come off stage. Like, mm. literally just waiting for you. I'm not I don't think the green room does that anymore. I take all that back. I am leaving. <laughs> don't come to this show because I won't be there. Yeah, I'll I, be in Neary's. I, I think there's some... Well, maybe that's for the Gaty Panto. I'm not sure, but there, def, or there was some clamp down with something because it was being... Abused, abused allegedly oh shocking bash but it's on the gaiety from the 7th to the 11th it's a very 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 funny show it's absolutely hysterical I um yeah it's a pleasure to go to work every day because it's just gas gas crack like I'm going to be there awesome yeah sweet Good Sean Kerry no thanks for playing personality bingo take care thank you very much So guys, that was the phenomenal Sean Carey playing personality bingo. Sean, again, if you're listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do a pal. I really appreciate it. Uh, taking time out of your uh, lovely Christmas holidays away uh, from uh, the comedy about a bank robbery. Uh, I'm so excited to see it at the Gaiety Theatre this May. Go and check it out. Uh, as always, a few thank yous to the boss woman, the wonderful Erin Lindsay, for mixing, editing and producing the podcast. As always, thank you so much, Erin. Uh, to the wonderful Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for their deadly theme music. To the brilliant Connor Nolan for his gorgeous artwork and to Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary for having us aboard the network and also a huge congratulations to Alan who got engaged it's kind of embarrassing because I saw him two days after and didn't know and then knew like straight after didn't say anything so now I'm in that weird place where like this is the first time I've actually congratulated him on a podcast that he mightn't hear so maybe I'll send him a text before that okay thank you for bearing with me while I sort out my life uh, guys again I want to point you towards our Patreon page the link is in the show notes if that's something that you can do can support the show I'd massively massively appreciate it uh, Blind Boy says it's a model based off soundness uh, the podcast will remain free forevermore but if you are someone who can chip in uh, a few quid 
our way I'd massively uh, appreciate it it would really mean the world and it would make a massive difference to the running of our show and if not absolutely no worries um, but if you know a couple of euro uh, a fiver a tenner doesn't make a massive difference in your life just know it makes a massive one in ours uh, and the more people we have aboard kind of the more meaningful the whole campaign is and uh, yeah look we'll plow on from there so guys thank you so much for listening and tune in next week for another episode of personality bingo with tom morris